0: Good morning, everybody. I'm Eureka John, and you're at Eureka Street Crypto Broadcasting from Leander, Texas. It is 6.38 in the morning. It's July 1st, 2022. We finally made it through the month of June. Seems like a long 30 days. Um, anyway, uh, it is Friday. So yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about that. Even though I'm not really working right now, <laughs> it's still, I, I'm still working every single day doing stuff. Um, you know, I, I, researching, you know, doing stuff with the DAOs. I sit in more meetings for the bankless DAO than I ever did at my, my actual, you know, in real life job. So <clears throat> it's, it's pretty crazy, but, uh, you know, we're getting stuff done. We're creating lots of podcasts you know, I'm working on. Uh, let's see, Crypto sapiens making bank. Um, uh, I'm not working on making bank, but I sit in meetings where they talk about it. Uh, Bounty hunter as well as another podcast coming out of Bankless DAO. Um, I'm working on the um, uh, let's see, Crypto sapiens Bankless Africa. I've been doing all those episodes for the Bankless Africa main show, and then the show the, the daily news show or the weekly news show that they have called Sats and and then there's uh, CryptoSapiens has three other offshoot shows coming out of it. One called Diversity, another one called Exchange Points, another one called Web3ID. So, I mean, just tons of podcasts coming out of the Bankless Dow. Go check it out. And then, uh, yeah, it's all coming out. A lot of it's coming out of the podcast hatchery, uh, which uh, I'm a part of as well. So. Yeah, yeah um I'm not employed right now uh, but I'm getting a whole lot of work done. anyway so this is episode number 472 of this show you probably see episode four 144 or something on uh, uh, if you're listening on Spotify and Apple and Google podcasts and all that stuff um but uh yeah I've been doing this since October 20th October 24th 2020. And this is just my morning video uh, blog brain dump from my ideas and things and news that I learn. My my sandbox to play with audiovisual type of stuff, and then my uh, message in a bottle to reach out to the Web3 and crypto community and anybody else that wants to learn. So feel free to DM me, give me a thumbs up and a like and subscribe. I'm at four, 987 subscriptions, so close to that 1,000 mark on YouTube. Um, Yeah, I don't really know what that means. I can maybe get like 5 to $20 a month or something. <laughs> I don't know, but either way, it's kind of a cool mark milestone to hit. Um, anyway, so let's go over here and take a quick look at the old coin gecko, uh, and uh, see where we're at. Bitcoin's down at nineteen thousand one hundred eighty three thirty eight. Do you see this as a buy opportunity, or you see this as let's sell quick, get out of this market? Everything's going to crap and the hell in a handbasket? basket. Um, you know, I see this as a buy opportunity. You know, be greedy when there's blood on the streets. Um, you know, Ethereum's down at a thousand forty seven dollars and two cents. You know, all, the trajectory of the crypto market is going up. And when you zoom out, you see that everything's going to be going up, the adoption of blockchain technology. Right now, the cryptocurrency market, and uh, cryptographers hate it when you say the word crypto in reference to cryptocurrency, however, uh, cryptographers have had the largest amount of funding that than they've ever had because people are now suddenly curious about cryptography. When it used to be such like a little nerd topic, now everybody wants to know about cryptography because of cryptocurrency and people are starting to wake up to the idea of the necessity for decentralized money. You know, you have to have decentralized money. And as we move into the digital age, you know, they're trying to ban cash, you know, and uh, you know, there's no way we can just give a lawn guy like uh, $20, you know, um, it, just a $20. But everything's got to go on your permanent record, you know, and I was listening to Edward Snowden talk yesterday on on uh, you know some old video. Is just like this whole idea of, you know, when we grew up, I remember Violent Femmes songs. I hope you know this will go down on your permanent record And in uh, that one song. I can't remember what song that was, but I mean, I loved the Violent Femmes. I still do. And uh, yeah, nowadays, yeah, and we, we always were worried about what would go down on our permanent record. That was like the biggest threat. You know, if you acted up in high school, this will go down on your permanent record. And then... um we found out we grew up and it never did go down on our permanent record. Well, nowadays, everything is going down on your permanent record. And uh, we're starting to see the consequences of that. And then, you know, tracking and tracing. And 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 so we're starting to see the need for digital money. And, um, yeah, like digital cash that can't be tracked or traced. is just cash. That's it. Uh, anyway i don't know i I got on a tangent so i have a lot of stuff to cover today i don't want to linger too long on on the prices here so let's get on with it um so today i want to talk about web 3 and web 3.0 and i know i've been throwing around the the term you know web 3 lately and i've been talking about it in some of the videos that i've created for open current and stuff like that uh but uh I've been finding out that there is a huge difference between Web 3 and Web 3.0. Um, web 3.0 is what you would refer to as the semantic web, um, and uh, it is this, the, the meaningful link between... Um, facts on on the internet that the machines can read, yeah, the the artificial intelligence would be able to read, yeah? and then some. Web three is the internet connected to the blockchain, and the Web three is the most recent iteration of what started as Web 3.0 and the Semantic Web. And uh, I was using Web 3 and Web 3.0 interchangeably. To me, Web 3.0 just seemed to make sense because I grew up in the days where you would get the CD in the mail and 500 free hours of, you know, Microsoft AOL, you know, or whatever, America Online. And I never used those 500 free hours. I don't know if you did, but uh, yeah, that's how old I am, Um, you know, but... um, Anyway, so uh, let's read a little bit of this article. Web3 and the Semantic Web. Anyone who has followed the development of the World Wide Web and Tim Berners-Lee concept for Semantic Web will have a good reason to be confused. Okay? And I didn't follow Tim Berners-Lee concept. I didn't know who Tim Berners-Lee was or anything like that. But I'm learning. And it's interesting. And uh, uh, in 2006, the computer scientist, who's also the founder of CTO and Tech Started Interrupt. A lot of people say Tim Berners-Lee is the one who really invented the Internet. Um <laughs> And not Al Gore? What? Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, so anyway, um, so in 2006, the computer scientist described the semantic web as a component of Web 3.0, which is not the same as Web 3 in the crypto context. I don't think Tim Berners-Lee invented the Internet either. I think it was a big old DARPA project. Um, so... Uh, So Web 3.0 is not the same as Web 3 in the crypto context. So the semantic web is an extension of the World Wide Web through standards set by the World Wide Web Consortium. And if you're a web developer, you know who the World Wide Web Consortium is, you know, and uh, you get a lot of information out of that. And a lot of times you go reference that website for things that you're supposed to be able to do to make your web page readable or to look up certain tags or things like that. Um, yeah, I've been there millions of times. Anyway, the goal of the semantic web is to make internet data uh, internet data machine readable. So machines could look at an, a web page and be able to see what's in those contents without having, you know, and yeah. Okay, anyway, this let me go on. This vision describes a web of linked data encompassing technologies to enable people to create data stores online, build vocabularies, and write rules for handling data. Um, the problem that in recent discussions about Web 3.0, the terminology has become interchangeable with the term Web 3 in the crypto context. And you hear about Web 3 all the time if you're in the crypto space. And it usually refers to probably somebody that may might have a dot ETH in the end of their Twitter handle. Um, it, it, it usually those websites are dApps. They, they connect, you know, to your MetaMask wallet. Um, it, it, at some point, it's been, uh, you know, gone down the the DeFi rabbit hole. Um, you've probably, you know, been uh, a contributor in some kind of liquidity pool with some kind of thousand X return. You know, <laughs> a lot of that is Web3. Uh, so anyway, the term Web3 coined, in, in, but lately it's been more about like NFTs and a decentralized ID and stuff like that. Decentralized ID is a huge topic. You know, um, how can you have an ID that is not given? To you by some kind of centralized authoritarian top down government. Um, structure and still have it be a valid identification for you in order to be able to use products and services digitally. You know that's that's basically in my definition I think what Web3 is. Uh, so anyway, that term Web3, coined in 2014 by Polkadot founder and Ethereum co-founder Gavin Wood, refers to a decentralized online ecosystem based on blockchain. And Gavin Wood also invented the uh, um, the Substrate.io that I talked about a couple videos back, um, and uh, he's He's one of the OG Ethereum founders that was in Zug, Switzerland. Um, I know. I know. I always pull this book up, but this book is a wealth of information. The Infinite Machine, written by Camila Russo, and uh, you know they all the original Ethereum founders were in a little house in Zug, Switzerland, and uh, that's where they they founded Ethereum. And, and uh, Gavin Wood was right along there with them. Uh, anyway. So um, according to Lemuel Park, uh, co-founder and CTO of Foster City, California-based software company BrightEdge, Web3 is simply the evolution of Web 3.0. So Web 3.0 kind of got caught and stuck in this like little quagmire of of just nerdiness that just bogged it down with xml and i'll talk about all that here in a second and web 3 the semantic web just kind of just went nowhere and it's kind of just disappeared for a while with all this web 2 data silos that have been built up with you know things like you know myspace first and then facebook and you know and you know google and youtube and you know all these centralized web services you know that are basically just apps and um and so the semantic web has just been kind of just squashed. So web 3 is kind of this next version of the resurrection of Web 3.0, it seems like to me. Anyway, so Web 3 is simply the evolution of Web 3.0. The concept is driven by the future decentralized web by focusing on blockchain technology, encryption, and cryptocurrencies. That further includes artificially intelligent technologies that help predict future trends and the application of virtual reality and augmented reality, VR and AR, and now the metaverse. Park said he expects a decentralized web with intelligent hosts in the third iteration of the web, or Web 3.0, he says the reason semantic web is being thrown around is that the web is will will not be about simple IP routing or updating routing tables. Instead, it will be about intelligent hosts making smarter decisions on getting to the answer. And basically, what he's talking about are the autonomous economic agents that fetch AI is putting out. Um, a lot of these these new blockchain protocols, uh, uh, Origin Trail, are having like these these artificially intelligent Agents that are that are reading websites for you and making decisions on your behalf, and that's the whole white paper concept. A lot of these stuff, and a lot of this stuff like Fetch AI has are actually putting this into practice now, uh, and which is cool. But a lot of this funding for this type of stuff is coming from the World Economic Forum, you know, and, and a lot of these mega corporations, which is a little scary, you know, when it when it accounts for like the the mass scale surveillance of it all. Uh, Anyway, um, so the current concepts will remain. Businesses will still have websites, search engines will still help direct traffic, and social networks will still exist, Park said. However, we have major trends that will push the direction of the web we know today. Blockchain and cryptocurrencies are fueling a big part of the trend, especially since blockchain fundamentally changes the model from centralized to decentralized. The technology also changes the process for conduction transactions between two entities that shakes the foundation of web architecture. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, the article goes on um, and I, I will, I, I think I will come back here. Um, actually, let's see here. I just want to just double check as a result. Okay. So they're talking about how it went to the, the mobile device. Um and how they had to to restructure the experience. You know, when when desktops and laptops ruled the world, screen sizes were larger and websites were free to work around a larger screen resolution. However, the push towards mobile over the past decade means websites are now optimized for a mobile-first experience. Um, As a result, single-column scroll experience means that all websites are being built the same way, hosted in the same manner, and companies have to get to their point faster. Get to the point. (laughs) This has given rise to the semantic web where consumers... Not only want the right information, but also access to that information faster. Um, So, and... and they have to use a lot of these the, the meta information to where the machine can read a lot of that information and prioritize it anyway so web 3 is a combination not web 3.0 okay so so the reason for the confusion lies with the evolution of the web itself it moves from web 1.0 the static web pages to web 2.0 the web of collaboration and connection to to web 3.0 the semantic web so if you follow pr- the progression from 1.0 uh, to 2.0 it seems logical that web 3.0 would be next in the list right uh, but other than and some diehard semantic web fans, the concept never achieved uh, mainstream popularity. So for practical purposes, Web 3.0 is now meaningless. Today, Web 3 has taken the spotlight and is clearly associated with decentralized technology. Specifically, Web 3 is a combination of three things, decentralization, community And culture and uh, decentralization is dominated by technologies such as blockchain, storage, decentralized storage like uh, Filecoin, you know, uh, IPFS, and identity, Web3 ID, and then community DAOs are a big part of that. This is a major aspect of Web3. It's about people collaborating around a vision, a cause, or a project using primarily Discord, Twitter, and more recently. Dows, um, the decentralized autonomous organizations I talk about so much, and then culture. The culture of Web three is defined by its vocabulary. A lot of people say GM. I have never said GM. I'm too old to say GM, but uh, I say good morning, and they know what I mean. And wag me. We are going to make it. And in NGMI for not going to make it. Uh, it's just this whole lingo that's been built around people in the Web three space. Um, you know that goes beyond just crypto. Uh, anyway, so um, down here, it starts to talk about semantic web and um, what Web 3.0 was and how it was about making data machine uh, data making data machine-readable. So Tim Berners-Lee, his definition of Web 3.0 is semantic web is the idea that internet data is machine-readable. Machine-readable data or computer-readable data is, is data in a format that can be processed by a computer. In the United States, the Open Government Data Act of January 2019 defines machine-readable data as data in a format that can be easily processed by a computer without human intervention while ensuring no semantic meaning is lost. In other words, machine data Da- readable data must be structured data, and there has to be a language for that. And it started off as XML, and then all the nerds came in and started throwing all this extra stuff on top of XML, and then it got bogged down in that, and it had to be simplified, and it got simplified through RDF and OWL, and then the JSON document came in and started to replace XML. But then they found a way to combine the RDF and the JSON and uh, the XML and all that stuff, and then the, the so I'll get into that here in a second. But it got just gotten this quack of just like nerd confusion. And that's where it's, the semantic web just seems to have drifted off at some point. And then that's when the centralization took control. So um, in turn, uh, so... Uh, Jason, let's see here. Uh, in other words, machine data readable must be structured data. This implies the existence of kinds of interpretation, decision, and judgment that we consider to be the domains of humans, not computing. Enter Skynet. Uh, maybe not Skynet, but it, uh, it's not too far away. It crosses a threshold in such a way that it becomes ubiquitous and transformative. I had to look up the word ubiquitous uh, a couple years ago because <laughs> my vocabulary is not that big and ubiquitous means something that is everywhere. Just for the you're not stupid if you don't know all these words, okay? Uh, so, And that's what Jason Ansari said, CISO, security and privacy consultancy at Shellman. In his view, Web3 and its more recent usage is a loose concept about a more decentralized set of technology components using blockchain and other technologies common in cryptocurrencies, e.g. smart contracts and NFTs. Um, some argue the uses of Web3 and Web 3.0 are... On the one hand are on the one hand to decouple modern sophisticated web content and functionality from the large tech corporations that control it and on the other to help promote the use of cryptocurrencies and other decentralized finance ideas Many conflate the two ideas either unintentionally as they are easy to confuse or because one incorporates aspects of the other. So there's really no like solid distinction line between Web3 and Web3.0. They both use parts of the other. It's just Web3 is kind of what Web3.0 was wanting to become in a way. But Tim Berners-Lee, the founder, did not want Web3.0 to be on the blockchain. He thinks it's a stupid idea. And there's an article right here. That says so. Uh, Web inventor Tim Berners-Lee says, Screw Web3. My decentralized internet doesn't need blockchain. The cyberspace pioneer is skeptical about a blockchain-based internet. Um, As much as I think that you're pretty cool, Tim Berners-Lee, I disagree with you on this. Uh, The snub may seem to clash. Okay, so let's see here. Yeah, he wants to rescue his creation from centralization, uh, but does he align himself with Web3's promise of salvation? Uh, but the thing is, is I've been learning, and this is a little off topic, but I, I, I found this other podcast yesterday, thanks to Keith Axeline, uh, and it, it really gets into the nitty gritty that Bitcoin and the blockchain and all this Web3 stuff is not as decentralized as we thought it was. However, we're on the road there, so I think there's steps. You know, everything is baby steps, so we're in this kind of weird hybrid decentralization centralized mode. Uh, anyway... So, uh, this snub seems, so the fact that, um, he says, uh, yeah, screw web three. All right. And go. So the snub seems to clash with Tim Berners Lee's recent reactions. A 67 year old now campaign campaigns to save his dysfunctional brainchild, the semantic web web 3.0 from the clutches of big tech. So he saw web 3.0, his semantic web that he wanted to build up suddenly get swallowed by YouTube and Google and Facebook and everybody else and Twitter um, so and now he's saying we need to rescue it but he doesn't want it to be on the blockchain because he sees the same things that happened to web 2. that happened with web 2.0 now happening with the blockchain as well uh, but you know, he hates web 3 but he also made a cool 5.4 million by selling an nft one of web3's supposed pillars <laughs> they just had to add that in there <laughs> anyway uh, Tim berners-lee wanted to want, wants to build on a platform he calls solid but you can call it web 3.0 uh here's solid um and instead of the blockchain they use these decentralized pods um and I'm not really sure how these pods are any different than I mean they're, they're they're nodes but who owns these pods you know how does one spin up a pod that holds all this data um I don't know man and I'll do an entire video on solid but uh Uh, Man, I think you might be wrong on this one, but what do I know? I'm just an average schlep, and he's the guy that invented the internet. So, um, So let's see here. So Tim Berners-Lee want to build it on a platform he calls solid, the web 3.0, but you can call it web 3.0. He said, we did talk about it as web as web 3.0 at one point because web 2.0 was a term for the dysfunction of what happens with user generated content on the large platforms. People have called that web 2.0. So if you want to call this web 3.0, then okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Tim Berners-Lee. Good. Good. Uh, Tim Berners-Lee shares the web 3's purported mission of transferring data from big tech to the people, but he's taken a different route to the target while web three is based on blockchain solid is built with standard web tools and open specifications um so he's looking more towards doing stuff using the web three specifications i guess than blockchain technology private information is stored in decentralized data stores called pods which can be hosted wherever the user wants and they can choose which apps can access their data i don't know man it just doesn't sound decentralized to me um Anyway, the approach aims to provide interoperability, speed, scalability, and privacy. When you try to build that stuff on the blockchain, it just doesn't work. And I've talked about that trifecta, uh, speed, scalability, and uh, 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 security. You know? And you can't have more of one without sacrificing the other two. So, anyway, he's saying the whole idea is healthcare, for instance, could be shared across trusted services to improve our treatment and support medical research. Our photos, meanwhile, could be supplied to Facebook friends, LinkedIn colleagues, and Flickr followers without having to upload pictures to each platform. And that's basically what Web3 is trying to do, is trying to attach all that information to our decentralized ID, like, for example, in our MetaMask wallet address, so we could unplug into one social media website. And if we don't like the w- what that social media website does, or we don't like the interface, then we could just unplug all our information, data, and photos, and all comments and everything like that, and just put it in another social media platform. Um, so he's kind of got it right. But he's just like so married to this idea of sticking, you know, with this solid platform and these pods and the Web3 ideals and any and the Web, the Web, Web Worldwide Web Consortium standards. Anyway, uh, here's another article uh, called Web3 Could Become a Dystopian Nightmare if Flaws aren't Fixed. Okay, so. Tim Berners-Lee wants to go one direction. Web3 is connected to the blockchain and is going to another direction. So Web3 could become a dystopian nightmare if flaws aren't fixed. This I agree with. Uh, Web3 is poised to change how the internet works a few years from now. However, there are flaws that must be addressed. Um, All right. So Web3 is the third generation of the internet. It's driven by a decentralized token-based economy developed to give users and content creators greater control over their data. Um, and like I said, the data that would be associated with your MetaMask address, fit at any point you didn't want your you know, data to be associated with that, with that uh, crypto wallet address, you could just start a new crypto wallet address and move the data over there. Um, you know, so there's no centralized authority giving you your ID and all that is being worked on right now at the Web3 ID movement. Uh, so, but anyway, you would be owning your data and it wouldn't be stored on servers like on Facebook or, you know, MySpace or anything like that, you know, uh, uh, and you would be the owner of your data. So, uh, so let's see here the, the concept, however, does have deep feature flaws. A new study has prized open loopholes in Web3 and exposed the challenges in making it a reality. Web3's early hype hovers around its ability to address some of the most critical questions confronting the Internet today. Data, privacy, and ownership. However, Web3 has a long way to go before it can mature into a new technology with the capability, stability, and scale needed to disrupt the Internet. Um, Web3 and Web3.0 are synonymous today, but this wasn't always true. In the mid-2000s, the phrase Web3.0 was a huge Originally in conjunction with Tim Berners-Lee of the Semantic Web. Okay, and then Gavin Wood. All right, so Web 3, promising a better online future but containing dystopian seeds. The new study from Forrester Research examines whether Web 3 can keep its promises. Making Web 3 a reality is challenging due to two factors. To begin with, today... Uh, To begin begin with, today's Web3 is governed by cryptocurrency and digital asset enthusiasts, such as NFTs, creating an uncontrolled atmosphere where scammers and fraudsters may sabotage even the best of intentions. And if you've followed my channel for the past week, you see that I've talked about nothing but freaking online exploits, hacks, scams, fraudsters. It's just rampant. So it's like the Wild West. It literally is, man. And you have to become a gunslinger and you have to know how to look out for all these scams in order to participate in this crypto market, because it happens to the best of us. So right now, the crypto is in a crazy unregulated space. Um, But it's like I said, it's like a telenovela. It's fun, it's drama, and that's why I keep coming back. Uh, Second, numerous essential concepts promoted by Web3 advocates aren't feasible now, and they may never be. All right, yeah, it's true. So let's take a look at a few major Web3 concepts and see how they match up. Decentralization is one of the major concepts. Uh, there's no universally accepted definition of decentralization. Uh, yesterday, I listened to a new podcast show. I'll be talking about it, and it really breaks down how undecentralized even Bitcoin is. Uh, however, there are two points that stand out. One, total decentralization, no single point of control whatsoever, is neither achievable nor ideal. And two, the decentralization theater you know, that a lot of these these protocols go through, when it's really only two people on a multi-sig wallet <laughs> polygon, uh, you know. Uh, for instance, if centrally managed services like Infura and Alchemy were to seize operations, Ethereum activity would ground to a standstill. NFT marketplaces could decide unilaterally. when 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 and how to respond and the control points and so-called smart contracts would quickly become apparent when something goes wrong and someone steps in to stop the code. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we saw this in the, this last hack I was talking about, um, where, uh, they were able to go in and stop the code when something was going wrong. I think it was the harmony hack. You know, if it's so decentralized, how are you able to go in there and stop the code?
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Anyway, yeah, so that is the decentralization doesn't exist. It is a lot of it. Most I'd say 95% of it is decentralization theater right now at this point. Um, and a lot of people talking about it, you know, just like yeah, yeah. People talked a lot about communism until they tried to put it into practice, then it turned into fascism, you know, so or socialism as well, you know, then it turned into fascism. And uh, just same thing with decentralization, you know, people love the pie in the sky ideal of a decentralization, uh, of decentralization, but when it comes to practice, you know, then suddenly you find like two people, you know, managing billions of dollars on a little multi-sig wallet, you know, so (laughs) anyway, protocols and codes, they must be open and transparent. And I like Polygon, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think they're trying to do some amazing stuff, but some things got to be fixed. That's the point of this article. Uh, so protocols and codes—they must be open and transparent. Having all code open for inspection sounds nice, but few individuals have the skills, spare and, and time, and inclination to go through heaps of complicated code. Furthermore, putting all code on public blockchains expands the attack surface, and we can see from practically daily stories of Web3 breaches and exploits that code quality isn't increasing. There's a lot of people trying to learn Solidity and Rust and all these and C++ right now, and uh, and. Sh- the, there's a lot of terrible programmers out there. You know, I mean, I'm not a programmer, you know, so I, I'm not going to judge you, you know, at least you're better than me. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who are amateur coders being put in positions of some pretty uh, staunch responsibility in charge of billions of dollars that don't understand the code. So it's also, uh, yeah, so so we can see from practically daily stories of Web3 breaches and exploit that code quality isn't increasing. Um, It's also worth recalling that open and transparent programming has always performed vital functions on the internet. Think Apache and Linux, for example, but that hasn't stopped today's digital behemoths from concentrating power and making trillions. Okay, and then the next uh, uh, thing about... um, web three so there's decentralization protocols and codes and apps and networks managed by the user this principle is classified as a techno utopian desire the majority of people will be uninterested in rule changes or contentious issues to show up and vote on them um yeah there is also a chance that entrenched interests will win out over the ecosystem as a whole this isn't a hypothetical concern we've seen it Happen in a number of blockchain initiatives And we understand from years of experience With online communities That community governance is difficult At the best of times Adding a money component Raises the risk of disaster And like I've said before And I've pulled this number out of my ass But like only 10% of people in DAOs Actually show up to vote on governance You know (laughs) I don't know So Web3 and blockchain experts argue That Web3's true decentralization principles Do not function in reality in an interview with Bloomberg, Dan Hughes, the creator of Web3 business uh, Radix DLT and a cryptographer who worked to build his version of blockchain technology, talked about Web3's technological obstacles and predicted it might take a decade for it to become popular. Um, well, it's popular, but I, I would say I would argue the decade to become functional. <laughs> so. One of major one of the major obstacles to Web3's widespread adoption, according to Hughes, is that it may be too complicated or unsafe to use, uh, preventing many people from joining the bandwagon. And a lot of people don't know it. And MetaMask is kind of a hard thing to figure out for a lot of people to start out with, you know? yeah, you know, It's... <laughs> I mean, I have guys you know, in, in the company that I was working for that didn't know how to go up to the top of an address bar and type in www Like they thought searching for a website was just opening the Google and using the search bar down there, you know? And so like literally if that's the case, God forbid they try to learn like how to use a seed phrase and stuff like that in MetaMask and then change the RPC to use a different blockchain through MetaMask. I mean, you know, and then to describe to them the difference between a centralized exchange and the on-ramp, you know, from fiat to crypto, you know, buying a stable coin uh in crypto.com and then transferring that out to a decentralized wallet, you know, oh, all these concepts are just like uh Yeah, so it's going to take a long time for Web3 to be adopted. Web3 innovations will take the internet into new realms and give rise to applications not previously thought possible. But Web 2.0 still has advantages in terms of scale, uh, customer service and p- customer protection. Potential web three risks include last lack of customer protections, new security threats, and a swing back to centralized control. So organizations will want to shore up governance and risk management before replacing 2.0 applications. Anyway, that's that article. And uh, I wanted to get back to this one, this article here. And I know I'm out of time. So, but what there's this great article called what happened to the semantic web. And if you want to learn the history of how we started this, this video today about what the difference between Web 3.0 and Web 3, it goes into the whole great promise of the semantic web that it would be readable not just by humans but also by machines. Pages on the web would be meaningful to software programs and they would have semantics allowing programs to interact with the web in the same way that people do. Programs could exchange data across a semantic web without having to be explicitly engineered to talk to each other. So take all this stuff and this decentralization points and the dystopia that I was talking about with Web3 and on the blockchain and then the problem that people have onboarding to Web3 because they don't really know how to use a wallet. We'll take that and then add in AI and then AI being able to do that for humans, you know, in in a semantic Web 3.0 way. Uh, and then using these autonomous economic agents in a truly decentralized manner. I mean, that and then taking all that control away from the corporations of Web 2.0. I don't think the Web 2.0 corporations are going to let loose of all that control very easily, um, and they are already combating against it. I think a lot of this crash in the crypto market currently today is a coordinated attack from a large, you know, from billionaire corporations, from bankers, you know, from the, the, the government entities. You know, it, that yeah, there's these anonymous shadowy people shorting these cryptos and these these platforms. So, I think there's a big attack. I don't think that they want to give up that control. But imagine if control was given, you know, in a decentralized way, and then AI could help humans to onboard to Web 3.0. Now Web 3, then that could be something worth talking about. Um, so. Uh, anyway, it goes down. Let's see here. Um, it just goes back more. The the vision was that the semantic web would become a playground for intelligent, in quotes, agents. The agents would automate much of the work that the world had only just learned to do on the web. So these agents could help onboard people. You know, uh, of course, in the semantic web, we were promised this was going to be delivered. In the 2018, we have agents, in quotes, like Siri that helped to do certain tasks for us. But Siri can only do what it can because engineers at Apple had manually hooked it up to a medley of web services, each capable of answering only a narrow category of questions. An important consequence is that without being large and important enough for Apple to care, you cannot advertise your services directly to Siri from your own website. So take like a physical therapist, for example, somebody with an independent practice. Um, They imagine that um, that you'd be able to hang out their shingles on the web. Today we are stuck with giant, uh, I guess, hang out their shingles, who who says that? Uh, To to be able to advertise their services on the web, you know, through this web 3.0. Today we are stuck with giant centralized repositories of information. Uh, Today's physical therapist must enter the information about their practice into Google or Yelp because those are the only services that the smartphone Agents know how to use, and the only one, only ones human beings will be able to will bother to check. So the only way you can get your info out there is through these large centralized, you know, corporate behemoths. You know, Uh, you can't do it in an independent way that would be picked up on Web 3.0. So the function of Web 3.0 is you can code in to each of your web pages. You know, the the little bits back then it was XML. And then, like I said later, it, it uh, you know it turned into RDF and owl, you know, and uh, and then JSON documents got incorporated in there as this article goes down and describes all this history. Then it turns into linked data, and then um, you know from there, uh, a lot of this stuff became automated. Um, so. Yeah, uh, let's see here. And then it started becoming the knowledge graph, you know, and here's kind of a little visualization of what the knowledge graph is. And it's just, instead of websites being linked to each other, it's data that is linked to each other. Um, So here's a good YouTube video um, called An Introduction to the Semantic Web. And I don't know who did this, just like some individual. But uh, let's see here before the web, there was just like footnotes, you know, and then I don't know if you've ever read any academic books, but uh, sometimes like, you know, more than half the page will be used um, in footnotes. And uh, well, not necessarily this book, but like sometimes you'll just have the, like half the page you know, of actual text, and the other half of the page down there is footnotes of where they get their information of uh, from leading to other academic articles and all that type of stuff. Um, and, uh, and what if the information in that Art, academic article that the, the book that you're reading um, depends on is wrong and then that academic article is referencing another academic article and what if that information's wrong then you have this like stack up of wrong data and then you know stuff could go terribly wrong on a mass scale so if what if you could guarantee all that stuff was accurate Um, So uh, then the hyperlinks came in and created Web 1.0 and then uh, Web uh, 2.0 creating uh, the web web of documents, right? So here's Web 1.0, the web of documents, and then Web 2.0 created the document silos. The Web 2.0 application silos, and here you have LinkedIn, Flickr, you know, Facebook, Orca, you know, all that stuff, and you can't share information. They don't share information back and forth to each other. In order to create a MySpace profile, you had to upload your pictures and and your your text and your descriptions, and then when you comment on things, you know, all that is is. Uh, on that server. If you wanted to move over to Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever, you had to start all over again. Uh, well, not so with the case of Web 3.0. And uh, here's where Web 3.0 is going. Let me just play a little excerpt here um, and then I'll be done. Uh, but this is just so many important ideas I'm trying to convey in this video. And I'll get back to what I was just talking about, about the academic papers.
1: Documents, not just high level links between applications, but to connect the data at a lower level so that and employment information, to go back to the LinkedIn example, stored on LinkedIn would be shareable and connectable in a way uh, in Facebook that it's not today. So to break that down, if we look at back our Web 1.0 um, and Web 2.0 document silos and data silos, you get the systems, Facebook and LinkedIn, and maybe you get something like New York Times. Um, and today, information about Evan Sandhouse, who's a prominent semantic web practitioner, will be stored three different times in three different ways and possibly conflicting on all of those systems. Information like such as his name, his address, uh, publications that he's written, conferences that he's spoken on, stuff like that. So what we want to do is get beyond just the document. We want to get to the data level so that specific data elements can be referenced between documents so that there's maybe one source of key Evan Sandhouse data and Facebook can just reference it. And if the data is updated, then Facebook automatically knows that the data is updated. So the idea is that instead of having URLs between documents, you get URLs between facts, right? And it's at a lower level than just the document, at a lower level than just the application. And in doing so, the great advantage is that you no longer have to think about specific documents. You just have to think about data and information. Now, this is extremely powerful, right? Um, in the same way that Web 1.0 enabled you to not have to think about where the information was sitting, you didn't have to think about the network layer and the machine layer and all this sort of stuff. The semantic web enables you to not have to think about specific document locations. All it has, all, all it asks you to do is to connect basic information up. And once you do that, the whole world, from a data perspective, makes a lot more sense. and
0: Okay. So, yeah, I mean, there you have it. You know, you can, like, for instance, I could sit here and author, you know, Eureka Street Crypto, and then I could put in a web page, you know, all the information that I want referenced about Eureka Street Crypto. And, um, you know, then anytime any other website references the keyword Eureka Street Crypto, it would show up on their website exactly the way that I had structured it with the correct data and everything like that. And if that data is built on the blockchain, it was guaranteed to be correct and it couldn't be changed whatsoever. Yeah, so it's immutable. Yeah, so that's the I guess the kind of the idea about it. So no matter where Eureka Street Crypto is referenced, it's all the same data. It's not entered multiple times, sometimes with different perspective and things like that. Yeah, so if Facebook was kind of doing this for a little bit with their Open Graph. Um, I guess they still are. So let's see here. There is a little, uh, let's see here. So another application of semantic web technologies, perhaps the most popular and successful in recent years outside of Google is Facebook's Open Graph Protocol. The Open Graph Protocol defines a schema that web developers can use via RDF to determine how a web page is displayed when shared in a social media application. For example, a web developer working at New York Times might use Open Graph to specify the title and thumbnail that should appear when a New York Times article is shared in Facebook, right? So in one sense, this application of semantic web technologies is true to the semantic web's origins in research on metadata. Metadata uh, Tagging a web page with extra information about who wrote it and exactly what it is about is exactly the kind of meta de- metadata Metadata authoring those semantic web was going to depend on. But in another sense, Open Graph is an application of semantic web technologies to further a purpose somewhat at odds with the philosophy of the web. The metadata isn't meant to be general purpose, after all. People tag their web pages using Open Graph because they want links to their content to unfurl properly in Facebook and more information and the more information facebook knows about your website the closer facebook gets to simply reproducing your entire website within facebook kind of just sucking it in like the blob. This is our property now. You know, this is not your website. This is our website. You know, so um, so Facebook simply gets to, it comes closer to Facebook simply reproducing your website within Facebook, pur- portending a future where the open web is a mythical land beyond Facebook's towering blue walls. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, like I could do all the work and create my Eureka Street crypto website But then some large corporation, you know, big, huge, you know, yeah, whatever Facebook type of organization could take all my work and just suck it in and then just make it available uh, through their, you know, their, their platform. And, 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 yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Whatever. I mean, (sighs) Anyway, so yeah, this is a really interesting article. It just goes through the history of XML as well. I remember studying XML because I was using it, uh, it, it. I would I was creating a little photo slideshow, you know, of some photography type of stuff, and I would you know have all so my web page would load all the photos in a little side document that was controlled by xml and then the slideshow would just click down each xml piece so everything loaded at once it anytime i wanted to um anytime anybody wanted to change the photo in the slideshow it would not have to go back to the database then back to my website everything was loaded and preloaded, and then this xml doc was directing it um, but the problem is, is people were using xml and html to uh, keyword stuff And uh, they, yeah, and basically trying to be number one on the list of Google searches and all that stuff and ruined it for everybody, you know? So uh, anyway, I don't know. Uh, Yeah. So here it is. Everyone would use a new set of standards to annotate their web pages with little bits of XML. These little bits of XML would have no eff- effect on the t- presentation of the web page, but they could be read by software programs to divine meaning that otherwise would only be available to humans. The bits of XML were a way of expressing metadata about the web page. Um, so um, web pages on the semantic web would be able to tell your browser who authored the page and perhaps even when that, where that person went to school or where that person is currently employed. In theory, this information would allow semantic web browsers to answer queries across a large collection of web pages. Um, In their article for Scientific American, Berners-Lee and his co-authors explain you could, for example, use the semantic web to look up a person you met at a conference whose name you only partially remember. Uh, Then Corey Doctorow was the, you know, he's the bad guy. He's the critic. He says, a world of exhaustible, reliable metadata would be wonderful, he argued, but such a world was a pipe dream founded on self delusion nerd hubris, and hysterically inflated market opportunities. And he called them SemWeb hucksters. Uh, Semweb hucksters, yeah. So, um, so the 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 essay titled "Meta Crap" identified seven problems, along with the obvious fact that most web users were, were likely to provide either no metadata or at all or else lots of misleading metadata to draw clicks. Even if users were universally dil- diligent and well-intentioned in order for the metadata to be robust and reliable, users would all have to agree on a single representation for each important concept. And uh, the, the the web had already seen people abusing the HTML meta tag um, introduced in HTML4 in an attempt to improve the visib- visibility of their web pages in, in search results. And that was back around 2004. Um, that's the keyword stuffing I was talking about um, then that's when yeah that's whenever semantic web started to die you know? so anyway uh, I've gone on for 47 minutes dude This has been a long episode and I've I've probably done a terrible job of explaining web 3 and web 3.0 but I'm trying at least you probably at least you know that there's two different things you know <laughs> so that's it's really what I want to try to convey and I want all this to lead on to um, knowledge graphs what those are, and I want to talk about things like origin protocol. I want to better be able to explain Open Current and their use of knowledge graphs and artificial intelligence and uh, this and in Web 3.0 in a way to uh, create their own little communities as well. So, there's a lot of stuff that all this is leading to. So, I at least wanted to get this Web 3 versus Web 3.0 episode out of the way, all right, man. Um, so today's Friday. Enjoy your Friday. Um, I'm going to get out and go do some running and just kind of get my mind off this stuff. All right, man. Um, you all have a good day and I will talk to you maybe tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see if uh, on a Saturday I'm in the mood to do stuff like this. All right. Um, shoot me, give me a thumbs up and leave me a comment or whatever. All right. Later. Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute, and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version. Spotify specifically. If you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I'm also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1. That's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. My DMs are always open. Feel free to shoot me a message. Thanks again.